Congregation, our text this afternoon is Philippians 1, verse 21. And we will read that again. Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is the goal of your life? Do you live from day to day to acquire an empire that will allow you to live a life of luxury? Perhaps your goals are more modest. An acreage in the country with a comfortable home and plenty of leisure time. Or perhaps material goods are not for you. Then what is your goal? Do you live for your family and friends, making them the focus of your life? Is your career the focal point? In this world, there are many things that become the focus of our lives. What about Paul? In our text, we learn that for Paul, his focus is Christ. To live is Christ. Therefore, I proclaim to you God's word under the following theme and points. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Therefore, Paul rejoices in the present advancement of the gospel and the future hope of the gospel. To get a sense of why Paul rejoices in the advancement of the gospel, we need to look closely at our text. There, Paul lays out his philosophy of life. For me to live is Christ. His very existence and his purpose is Christ. That is his goal. And what about us, congregation? Is that my goal? Is that where the focus of my life is? After all, do we really see life through the same lens as Paul? Do we really see Christ behind everything that we do. When we, mean, when we consider what it means to live, I mean to really live. Don't we have images of fame and fortune floating before our eyes? A life of luxury and affluence where our every whim and desire is met to our satisfaction? Perhaps we might throw in a desire to have members of the opposite sex swooning for our affection. Or perhaps really living evokes an image of fame where large crowds vie for our attention and hang on our every word. Are we immune to the world's way of looking at life? And then there's the other side of the coin. What would make life not worth living? We live in a world that promotes euthanasia. If you can't get some satisfaction in life, perhaps life should be terminated. If you have a debilitating or painful medical condition, you can ask the doctors to end it all. In our country, that's the direction we've gone. If you're old and frail, and you can simply opt out. And end it all. But brothers and sisters, this is a blatant denial 
of what Paul confesses. Because life is about more than my personal pleasure. Paul responds to our world's infatuation with fame, fortune, and sexuality. And he says, that is not really living. To live is Christ. Consider that Paul is in prison, facing a possible death sentence because of his confession of his Lord Jesus Christ. If he believed that real living had its source somewhere else, then he was facing death needlessly. Paul had said as much that he was in chains for the cause of the gospel for Jesus Christ. And so why does Paul live for Christ? We find the answer clearly conveyed to us by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There Paul explains that Jesus died for all of us. Therefore, we need to die to ourselves. That's what it means, brothers and sisters, to be a Christian. We have died to the flesh so that we might live for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 puts it this way. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for the sake died and was raised. Jesus says, we died to sin so that we might live to him. But Jesus didn't just die. He also rose again. And it's in the resurrection of the dead that we really have our hope, isn't it, brothers and sisters? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19 says, If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are all people to be most pitied. He's saying that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we would have no hope, no confidence in the life to come. But he goes on to assure us in the very next verse, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And because Christ has been raised, we can look forward to also being raised with him. To the resurrection of the dead. This is our hope when death comes to each of us. Or when a loved one is taken to be with Christ. It's not the end. But the doorway to eternal life. That is the comfort we receive as we go to the graveside to bury a loved one. Young people. Children. Death may seem very far away and it must seem very scary. But be encouraged. When you remember the lesson of Lord's Day 1. That we belong, body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's your promise too. It's the promise of everyone who believes. And so Paul wants the Philippians to know the importance of his philosophy of life. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. When you live a life for Christ... 
You can be assured that there is purpose in every event and circumstance that you find yourself in. Paul sees beyond his immediate circumstances. He has a long-term perspective, you might say. He sees the eternal connection. Do we? Do we look at the suffering and trials of this life with contempt towards God? Because we wonder how a good God could allow such suffering. And if we think this way, are we really that far from the world's way of thinking? The bottom line is the same, isn't it? Life is only worth living if I have a good life according to the world's standards. Or do we see suffering in the light of Paul's philosophy of life? He looks at the big picture. How has my life served Christ while in prison or here in Owen Sound? How have the difficulties and trials of Paul's life or my life served the greater purpose of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I realize that we don't always see God's plan, but often we're not looking either. The trials of a brother or sister in Christ can be such a blessing for their neighbor because they see the strength of faith that the Lord has given. And through that, they too are strengthened. And who can't identify with a personal trial that has led to further maturity in the faith? Living for Christ means that Paul looks beyond his own circumstances to see what Christ is doing. And when he observes his imprisonment or the trials in the midst of this congregation here in Owen Sound, when we see that they are serving for the advancement of the gospel, he says to the Philippians, take notice. The word translated as advancement in verse 12 is the same word used in 1 Timothy 4 verse 15. There the word is translated as progress. It says, practice these things. Devote yourselves to them so that all may see your progress. Paul is saying that his imprisonment isn't something negative at all. It may not have been easy. In fact, it was likely very difficult. But it served for the progress of the gospel. Paul goes on to show in concrete terms how his life lived for Christ was serving for the progress of the gospel. And as a result, the imperial guard had come to recognize that Paul was in chains for the cause of Christ. Acts 24 says that the Jews had originally charged Paul with starting riots. But those guarding Paul had learned that he was not some sort of rebel. Rather, he was on trial for his faith. The Imperial Guard was an elite group of soldiers whose primary task was to serve and protect Caesar. Paul, being under house arrest in Rome, was awaiting trial before Caesar, so it fell to the Imperial Guard to watch over him. And it was the Roman custom to change the guard every four hours. And according to our reading in Acts 28, Paul was under house arrest for some two years in Rome. So as time passed, Paul had become acquainted with many in the guard. And his testimony had become known among them. How Paul stands up under trial has an impact on those who get to know him. 
That, brothers and sisters, is lifestyle evangelism. That through our walk and our talk, in whatever circumstances I find myself in, I confess Christ to an unbelieving world. And this would have been particularly encouraging for the church at Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony where many of the imperial guard had likely been recruited. And it was a colony where retired imperial guard could receive land to retire. And so Paul's trial was not just making the gospel known to some nameless faces that he was referring to when he writes to the Philippians. This is why the imperial guard is singled out in his letter. The gospel was being made known to people that they knew. He is saying, I want you to be aware that a life lived for Christ here in Owen Sound is going to affect those people around you. The people you know. Look at the imperial guard. Through my life lived for Christ, they are becoming aware of the gospel. You know them. They're learning about Christ through my life. And it's not just them. There are others here in Rome. People with whom you may not be acquainted, but they too are coming to know my trial is for Christ. Acts 28 says that Paul welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrances. In the midst of my trial, does my life proclaim my Lord Jesus Christ with boldness So that both those I know and those whom I am unacquainted with come to the same conclusion that I suffer as a servant of Christ. Do the doctors and nurses in the hospital here in Owen Sound see it by my testimony when I lie sick in the hospital or in the old age home? Do my colleagues and my co-workers at work See it when I grieve at the funeral home. Do the members of the community of Owen Sound see it when my business is in financial despair or my personal finances are in disorder and I am struggling in the trials of my day-to-day life? Is my life lived for Christ? But it isn't just those outside the church who are affected by the way in which we live in the midst of our trials. Paul's imprisonment has also had an impact on other Christians in Rome. His brothers and sisters in Christ, he says in verse 14, that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear speaking more boldly about Christ. Paul realizes that his current state of life is not what's most important. And isn't that the way it is, brothers and sisters? When we see someone going through overwhelming difficulties in their lives with a smile on their faith and an unwavering trust in the Lord, we are encouraged to stand firmly upon the solid foundation of the gospel. And if we consider Paul's disposition in verse 18, it shouldn't surprise us that the Christians of Rome are becoming bolder. 
When they look at Paul and they see how he expresses joy at the advancement of the gospel in the midst of an imprisonment that could lead to his ultimate execution, they are empowered by the grace of God at work in the apostle's life. Paul's way of life is not self-centered. He's not worrying about his own state of affairs. No, his concern is for the advancement of the gospel of Christ. The other Christians around him can see the supernatural work of God in his life. Think about how one naturally reacts to being in a state of captivity. The reaction... Consider how the Israelites groaned while in captivity. And wasn't their reaction very much the natural reaction of humanity to trials and adversity? Isn't that the way we often act in the midst of our own trials and difficulties? We groan and we grumble. And of course, there is a place for mourning, beloved. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can still witness for Christ in the midst of our trials. Consider the request of Peter in Acts 4, verse 29, when he prays in the midst of a confrontation to be empowered to speak boldly. There we read, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And what was the result? We find it several verses later in Acts 4, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what Paul is continuing to do. Acts 28 confirms that in Rome he continued to speak boldly for Christ, even while in chains. Paul's life of boldness for the gospel is beginning to be shared by the Christians of Rome. And he wants the Philippians to know it. And he wants the congregation here in Owen Sound to know it. Why? Because as we heard also this morning, we all share the grace of God. That is what Paul had said to them in Philippians 1 verse 7. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We, too, are partners in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In the 21st century in Canada... We may not be thrown in prison for our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. But there are more subtle forms of persecution with which we must contend. Many have been challenged financially as a result of their confession. Having to turn away jobs that would require them to profane the Lord's day. Most of the community must pay for Christian education because we're unwilling to bow to the idols of secularism. How many have been rejected from the academies of higher education, especially in the sciences, because of their confession of Genesis 1 through 11 as historical fact. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of these challenges, let our confession ring out boldly. I live for Christ. 
Paul's imprisonment has resulted in an increase in boldness among the church at Rome. And in addition, it has resulted in others beginning to preach the gospel. And he cites two reasons why they preach. One reason is envy and rivalry. In Greek, these words have the sense of having ill will towards Paul. The word envy is used in Galatians 5 as a work of the flesh. Verse 17 of our reading says that they are even motivated to afflict him in prison. Paul says the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Their exact reasons for doing this are not given. Paul concentrates on their motives. They see his imprisonment as an opportunity to put themselves forward in the church at Paul's expense. Imagine being in a leadership role where circumstances leave your leadership vulnerable and at your moment of weakness rivals try to usurp your position of authority. How would you react? Paul says, I rejoice. It's not what you would expect, is it? Yet why? He says, I rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. To live is Christ. He acknowledges that it's not about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Paul indicates another reason, a more favorable reason. They preach out of goodwill. They realize that Paul is on trial for the gospel. They recognize the role that the Lord had given to Paul as a defender of the faith. They love him as a brother in Christ. They want to see the gospel proclaimed. They want to see Paul's passion for the spread of God's word continue. It's what Paul encourages in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. And a little further, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In their love for Paul, they look to his interest. And he has confessed what his interest is. The interest of his life is Christ. And so Paul rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed, whether for good reasons or for bad. And Paul also rejoices for what he anticipates for the future. And this brings us to our second point, the future hope of the gospel. In verse 18b, Paul displays his attitude for the future. He had just informed the Philippians that he was rejoicing in the advancement of the gospel. And his plan to continue living a life of rejoicing. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Because his life is lived for Christ. He is confident. He is confident of his own deliverance. He gives his reasons for his confidence. Prayer and the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we've already learned that one who suffers a trial can be a great encouragement to the body of Christ whether in Rome or here in Owen Sound. But now Paul points out that the prayers of the saints for him have had the desired effect. Let us remember what the book of James tells us. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so, brothers and sisters, pray for those in our midst who suffer under various trials. Paul says it's a source of his confidence. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Our prayers are being perfected through the Holy Spirit and come before the Father and He hears us for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can be assured that He will deliver us. That's Paul's confidence in the midst of his trial. And it's our confidence in the midst of our trial that what we may have to suffer and experience in this life will turn out for my deliverance. That is why in the midst of my trial and my suffering, I can rejoice. When we think of deliverance, our thoughts go quickly to the removal of our trials. But let's not be mistaken here, brothers and sisters, about what this means. Perhaps the Lord will remove the burden that the child has inflicted, but in His infinite wisdom the Lord may not. Paul recognizes this possibility. What does it mean then to be delivered? Verse 20 speaks of life or death. But doesn't deliverance imply life? To get a better handle on what Paul is saying, we can look back to the Old Testament, to Job. Paul's words echo the words of Job in Job 13, verse 16. The ESV says, This will be my salvation. But the NIV catches the parallel better when it says, Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. Job was confident of his deliverance. Yet after saying this, Job says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. He is confident because his hope is in the Lord and he expects to be vindicated. His hope will not be in vain. This is the confidence of our confession in Lord's Day 1 that I am not my own but belong in body and soul to my faithful Savior Jesus. That is Job's hope. It's Paul's hope and it's our hope. Whether in life or in death, he holds us firmly in his hand. Deliverance meant he would not be ashamed of the gospel. His hope was well placed. Ashamed here in our reading has the sense of shame for failing God. He is confident that God will be honored in his life because true deliverance is deliverance from our sin and misery. Sin means eternal death. Being delivered means that you can really live, live for Christ, now and into eternity. Because of the work of Christ accomplished upon the cross. And as a result, he is confident that he will have the courage to honor Christ with his body, whether he remained in the flesh or is found guilty at trial and put to death. Either way, Christ would be honored by his confession. And so our text goes on to say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our lives point forward to being with Christ for eternity. 
Paul rejoices in his suffering. He does not shrink back in the face of adversity. No, he faces the future with confidence because he knows that he will be delivered up to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says it later in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so I live for Christ today and I look forward to the day that Christ will take me home because to be with him is gain. That's Paul's desire that he expresses in verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for it is far better. And although this is Paul's desire, he shows again that he recognizes that it's not about himself. No, because he lives for Christ, he realizes that his work for the kingdom is not complete. For those that long to be with Christ because of sickness, frailty, or some other trial, it can be a challenge to see why the Lord does not take you home. It can be hard to recognize that the Lord still has a task for you. And our desire might be to be with Christ. But we need to serve Him first in whatever circumstances He places us. And Paul recognizes this. He says in verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He sees that his work among the Philippians is not finished. And so he puts aside his own desire to be with Christ in order to serve the cause of Christ, to serve his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that is the calling that we have, that every day of my life, whether I live with few trials or with many, that I live for Christ. Paul reminds the Philippians that a life for Christ is for their benefit. When you live for Christ in the midst of the congregation, you can expect progress. The advancement that Paul spoke about earlier among the Roman church as a result of his service to Christ was what he anticipated among the Philippians through his service. When our faith is built up through the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters here in Owen Sound, we are making progress. And what does Paul expect to accompany such progress? Joy. Joy in the faith. What is the end result of such joy, Paul says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. And glory here has the sense of boasting. Again, Paul takes the back seat. His work for the cause of the gospel among the Philippians has the goal of bringing glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when my brother or sister in the pew next to me displays, displays a life lived for Christ, when they are a source of a spiritual encouragement to me so that my joy of faith is increased, let me boast in my Lord and Savior for the grace that he has extended to me. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul is in chains, but his primary concern is not about his own life, but the cause of Christ. He knows what he has gained through Christ. He has gained deliverance and eternal life. He knows that his deliverance is in his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, he rejoices in the midst of his suffering, so that Christ might be exalted through him. For Paul to live was Christ. That was his confession in the midst of his imprisonment. And it was his hope for the future. It was the focus of his life. May this be the focus of our life, now and in the future, so that I may look forward with Paul to what I gain when this life comes to its end, and that God will receive all honor and glory and praise by my life. Amen.